I'm going to do my best this morning to not make this super heavy, okay? I, I am. But to say that my heart is not hurting this morning would be a lie. Um, for you guys that don't know uh, and did not see the Facebook posts, um, our Pastor Mark passed away this weekend. Hopefully, most of you guys, that's not a shock. You saw the Facebook posts for, for it. Uh, our missions pastor who planned our trip for Honduras uh, went to go be with the Lord this weekend. Um, and not only was he uh, our missions pastor, but he was my friend. Um, and if you've been here long enough, you know that I don't call that many people my friend. There are not that many people with that I go and I have relations with at a friend level instead of a pastor level or a mentor level. And Mark was one of those that was my friend. Um, and so I am rejoicing today and grieving in my heart over not being able to see my friend, but knowing that he is with the Lord. And here's the perspective that I have for it is very simply this. He was my friend, and I want, he is my friend, and I want him here. But who am I to tell the father that he can't have his son? When a father wants his son, he is allowed to have his son at any moment. And the things and the ministries that Pastor Mark started here will go on beyond here. And the legacy that he, that he started here will continue on past him forever. And so I've specifically, you see today all these scarves down here on the bottom that we are taking to Honduras with us. Pastor Mark planned this. This would have been his 20th mission trip to Honduras in particular. He had a heart for the Honduran people. This was his 20th mission trip in the year 2020. And this was the first one that he planned, organized, and ran. Instead of being part of another program, he planned it, organized, and ran it. And so we are going to run with this thing. And every single soul that comes into the kingdom, and every single person that gets blessed and healed and set free will be a crown in heaven for him and another jewel for him. So we are not going to surrender to worldly grief over it. But we are going to go down there and know that he is viewing it from a different angle and that he sees everything that we're going to do. So I'm going to have, see, that's the thing about grief. That's the thing about hurt in your heart. When you grieve from the world's perspective, you have no hope. I, I don't understand how you can live without faith and walk through grief. There is a big difference in your life when you are hurting and you can still be hurting and have peace. I stayed up here all night. And I just prayed and worked on my message and, 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 and talked to God about it. And in that process, I just started thanking him. In fact, most of the night wasn't, why, Lord? It was, you're still good. I still trust you. You're still enough. And in those moments of that, instead of grief overwhelming me, I found this strange peace, an unnatural peace, a peace that said my heart hurts, but it is well with my soul. My heart hurts, but it is well with my soul. And if you are absent of that in your life, then that just means that it's an opportunity for you to draw closer to God. 
and to realize that this stuff that I'm saying up here, that I talk about week after week, it has merit, it has value, it has purpose. It's not just to give me something to do. It's not just so you have somewhere to belong and have a social club. This stuff will be there for you at 2 o'clock in the morning. The Lord will be there for you when you're at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're saying, God, you're enough. You're enough. See, love conquers all. The power of love is enough in your life to unlock miracles. In fact, it is the power of love in your life that will unlock miracles. And I can't tell you why some people receive their miracle and others do not. I can't tell you that. I can't answer why one and not the other. It's above my pray grade. But I do know this, that God is good enough and that I trust his plan completely. And when you surrender your life into his plan, you say, Lord, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't understand this. This is a turn I didn't see or I didn't expect. In those moments, when you see those moments, because of the relationship, because of the trust with God, you can walk through them and say, I don't get it, but I trust you. And it all of a sudden shifts when you're, let me tell you this. I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. And I'm just talking from my heart. You see, I'm not looking at any notes. I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There is a difference between happiness and joy. Joy is not situational. Happiness is. I am not happy. I am not happy about this. I don't think any of us are happy about this. If you are, go find another church. (laughs) Okay? I don't think anybody's happy. But you cannot be happy in the situation and still have the fullness of God's joy. You can still smile. You can still make a joke. You can still have joy in your heart. You don't have to be overcome. You don't. What a hope and a promise that we have that we can smile and know that we are not hopeless. Amen? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, you remember my message was really centered around steadying our emotions. In fact, the whole Sunday built up to this idea of steadying our emotions. And we steadied our emotions, and we talked about it Sunday night. And we talked about God has been preparing us that whatever we are about to walk in will require us to steady our emotions, to not allow our emotions to have control over us, but for us to have control over our emotions. And I said that message with Pastor Mark in in the room and his wife in the room, And we built up to this moment where I said, it's time to get over your fears and anxieties and release what God has inside of you. And Pastor Mark stood up and began to prophesy over the room. And he began, he took that big lump in the throat, right? And he just began to release words over people in the room. And it, I mean, there was tears shed and crying happened. And I am so thankful that he lived every moment up to the last. And this is not his memorial service. I'm just saying a word so you get this. Just so you understand this, I, what better way to live your life than for every moment up into your last to be filled with joy, hope, and excitement? There is only one thing I'm really afraid of in my life, and no, it's not zombies. 
I got over that. There's a cardio. <laughs> Little legs, they don't run fast. Um, that's funny. I got to start over again. Um, there's only one thing I'm really afraid of. And the, honestly, there's only one thing I've ever really been like, like that has not gripped me, but that, that's that underlying fear, right, that we have to deal with. And that's getting old, I mean, to be honest. And not, not aging, not just aging, but becoming irrelevant, having no purpose, having no point, having nothing to do, but just sit around and tell stories about things I did do, but look forward to nothing. And so many people, look, getting old is not when you're 75 or when you qualify for social security or when you hit 100. Like there is not a line of getting old. Let me tell you what getting old is. Getting old is the moment you stop looking towards your future and you start looking towards your past. You are then over the hill. That's the definition. When you no longer have something to hope for, you are over the hill. You have passed the best of your life. You are stuck believing that there is nothing ahead and that makes you irrelevant. And that's the moment you stop learning, growing, living, and blessing. Don't do that. Don't get old. Live every single moment until your last breath looking forward to something else. Make a plan even when you can't accomplish that plan. Dream bigger. Go bigger. Take over the world. Like have some crazy vision for your life. Our God can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or hope for. You better start dreaming a little bit bigger because whatever you can dream, God can do more. And you will do it until your last breath. You will see that happen. And, and if you dream big enough, I will tell you this. If you will dream big enough, even if you don't make it to see that dream fulfilled, you will inspire somebody else and they will pick up your torch and they will run and one day you will look over the railways of heaven and you will see the dreams that were too big for you that somebody else bought into and you see the dreams magnified and magnified into the earth. Every single thing that Pastor Mark started here will see complete. And it'll be bigger. And I have more fire lit under me to make sure that what he started gets finished well. So when I get there, he'll say, thank you for running my race. Thank you for finishing those things. Thank you for making it worthwhile that I started them. Don't let them die. See, <laughs> he shall die and not live. When we were in the garden, God said, don't eat that fruit. You'll surely die. He wasn't talking about a physical body because that's not who we are. We let that ministry run on. We let, our, we, we let what we do, the seeds we plant on this earth, what we pour into other people, we let them spur people on to rise up and we shall never die. But it lives on past us. We have to be generationally minded. We have to believe beyond ourselves, right? Otherwise, what's the point? If we have no hope for the future, what's the point? I mean, really, what's the point? But how do we get there? Well, there is a point. See, we serve this God who as long as we are here, we have hope for. As long as we are here, we can expect a miracle. And I just might... People called me crazy at one point. I don't think this church calls me crazy anymore, but maybe when I first brought it back, well, that depends on what I'm talking about. But in this matter... 
In this one, I am not. When I first came out and said, God wants to be a God of miracles. He wants to heal the sick. He wants to open the blind eyes. He wants to raise the dead. He wants to make those that are lame walk. And he wants to do those things. And I said, will you believe that it's possible? There were a few people in the room that said, I believe that that's possible. And there were others that said, you're crazy. And then as God began to pour out his spirit and we saw people get healed, more people said, oh my gosh, it might be possible. And some of them said, that's not possible. This is all fake. And I got up on this very stage and I looked at him and I said this. I said, these are the same people you've been seeing come to this altar for three years, get prayed for, do lunch with, do life with, go out to the movies with, and they have never seen this. You think what I called them and we worked it out and I gave them 20 bucks? Like what? What do you think happened? But that God showed up in their life in a miraculous way. And when we go to Honduras, God will show up in a miraculous way. And I will bring home video and evidence of God's healing and supernatural power in that nation. And he will start a revival. So we have the, we have the Feed My Sheep program. And at the end of the service, if you want to give to that, there's a bowl here so that you can leave an offering for Feed My Sheep. It's so that we can go down there and not just bring the word of God, but that we can feed 10,000 meals to them while we're there. And we're close to our goal of getting there. I don't know the number, otherwise I'd give it to you, but we're close to our goal of getting down there. I know we needed uh, $2,250, $2,250 in order to feed 10,000 meals while we're there, okay? And so I want you guys to consider sowing in to that ministry that is officially now the Mark Clark Feed My Sheep Fund, okay? And that will be a mission that we carry forever. I've told you guys this before, and some of you know this. I don't have a heart for everything. I'm not in love with every ministry. When, when um, the homeless ministry got started, when Crystal started that, I didn't have a heart for that. I grew up in L.A. I got uh, begged on every single street corner you can imagine. So I kind of had a hard heart towards that situation. But what I told her is, and she asked if I had a heart for it, and I said, what I have a heart for is you. I have a heart for you coming alive. I have a heart that you don't live dead, that you live with purpose and meaning and love and that you stir on to life, that you do something that stirs you to life while you're here. And I said, so I have a heart. If this is what brings you to life, then it's what brings me to life. I said, because you coming alive is what makes me come alive. That's my to life. When you come to life. So I said, because you have a heart for it, I have a heart for it. And I got behind it. So I have a heart for the things people have a heart for. So guess what? Feed my sheep I have a heart for now. Amen? I will not do a mission trip without trying to do that. Because that's what God wants. Because I love him and I love the plans and purposes. And I want to see the fullness of his purposes unlocked in my life. Let me read this to you. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Everyone say, not yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is impure. So we learn about this hope that we have in Christ, that just hope, just hope by itself purifies us. 
If you're wondering if you need to, you know, chastise yourself and whip yourself and blame yourself and condemn yourself when you make a mistake, all you have to do is hope in him. And when you have you put your hope and trust in him, it will purify you. It will bring you into relationship with him. And when you draw close an intimate relationship with God, you cannot help but look like those you surround yourself with. If you want to look more like Jesus, surround yourself with his presence. Hope in him. But look at this. What great love the Father has lavished on us. Do you believe that your God has lavished love on you? I believe there are many people that just do not believe that God has lavished any love on them. They've walked through their life feeling like they're outcasted, forgotten, forsaken. And they don't understand the richness of his love. But look what he calls us. It says in this uh, translation, children of God, but another translation says sons and daughters of God. That he loves us so much that he's called us sons and daughters of God. Man, there's a lot of people. I meet a lot of people, and you don't have to be very prophetic to go, you got daddy issues? You got mommy issues? Like 90% of people got some mommy-daddy issues, okay? False prophets can use that all day long, trust me, okay? You got, you got mommy issues, you got daddy issues, and the problem is, is that what we do most of the time is we extend our image of who God is based on who our earthly parents are. And we look at them Look at God through the lens of our parents, not realizing that our parents are fallible. They are just trying to make it like we are. Maybe when you were a kid, you were like me and every other kid. You thought your parent, your, your, your dad was the toughest, the strongest, and no one could do anything to him. A couple of you were like, nope, not my dad. But most of us, like, oh, my dad can, right? Did you ever do this? My dad can beat up your dad. My dad knows karate. Oh, yeah? Right? I'll beat up your dad. It's not a problem. Uh, right? Your dad could do everything, could take everyone. He's the toughest guy in the room. He does no wrong. He can't do no wrong. And then you got older and you had that day where you're like, oh, dad's not perfect. What? And then you grew up and, you, and then you had your own children and your kids are like, dad can do it. And you're like, I'm just not going to tell him how bad my back hurts right now. <laughs> right? I fight with my children, right? They're, they're at the age now where they're like, Dad, you go so hard on us. And I've had to tell them I have to go hard because even when I win, I lose. You walk away and the next day, I'm like, are you sore? And they're like, no, we're fine. And I'm like, oh. And I won. It's not fair. I won, but I still lose, right? Gosh. And then we lose perspective as we age and we go through and we see that we are fallible, we take that image and we place it on God instead of take God's image and place it on ourselves. What great love has he lavished on you that he calls you sons and daughters? That in him you have the hope of eternity. You are a prince and a princess of heaven and you are a citizen of heaven, which means you exist in the laws of heaven. And love, love, Love can unlock heaven in your life. Matthew 15, 32 says this. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So this is the story where Jesus 
turns the food into 5,000 meals. He takes a little boy's lunch and he multiplies it to 5,000. The miracle, though, was not in the multiplication. The miracle was in the compassion. Because Jesus said this. Let me read it again. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Because he had compassion, he was moved to miracles. Matthew 14, 14 says it this way. When Jesus landed and saw a large large crowd, he had compassion, say compassion, on them and healed their sick. He multiplied the food because he had compassion. He healed the sick because he had compassion. And these are just two references of many in the word of God where it says that Jesus had compassion on them so he healed them. Compassion will drive miracles. It is the key that turns on the engine of miracles in your life. See, love is the key. Now what compassion is, let me give you the definition of compassion. Compassion is love in action. When love is turned into a verb, you are compelled to act out of a heart of love. Love is not the action. It's the action that was compelled out of it. That's what compassion is. If you just do it because you're guilty and say, well, I I should be a good person, I should do that. That is not compassion. That's pity. Anybody in here want pity? Is there a single person who's like, I just wish someone would pity me? But there's not a single person in here that wouldn't say, I just wish someone would love me. I just wish someone would love me. We say, well, we do love you. I haven't seen any proof of that. If you loved me, you didn't even shake my hand. You weren't compelled enough to come and say hello to me. (laughs) You didn't take any action on your love. So there was no compassion. Your heart was not moved for me. It's that movement of love. It's when that love becomes alive and activated that miracles become alive and activated. Jesus didn't just preach to people. He met them in love. He met them in love. And and that brings up a very interesting point in life. Look, you got to guard your ears. you got to guard your environment and your atmosphere. I talk a lot about that. But it is so important that you guard your ears and only allow love to be the thing that enters. Do not allow hate to be spoken into your life. Do not allow the serpent to come in and lie and deceive and trick you with speaking death into your life. You must protect your ears and make sure that only love comes into it. You need to get people out of your ear range that don't have love to speak to you. Let me say this. Don't give your ear to people that refuse to give you their heart. Do not give your ear to someone that will not give you their heart. Because their words have no weight to them. Their words fall flat on the floor. Because there is no compassion in them. Therefore, whatever they speak is already dead. It cannot come to life. It cannot stir up miracles in your life. If their words are there to bring glory to them with how wise they are, their words will fall deaf. And they will have no power in them. There is power in love. There is not power in empty words. 
But the word of God says that his word shall not return void, but it will go out and accomplish everything it seeks to. If his word will not return void, then it must be necessary to make that statement, meaning that there are words that will return void. Your words said in pride, your words said in hollowness, your words said, said in self-ambition will return void. But words said in love with compassion have the power and ability to unlock and release miracle into your life. You don't believe me? You, some, some of you have seen this in your own life and other ones of you are like, I, I can't believe that because I have no evidence of that in my life. And you don't realize that the reason you don't have evidence is because you don't believe that. That faith trumps your experience. In fact, do not lower the immeasurable power of God to the measure of your experience. Your standard for what God is able to do should not be what you've seen. Because God can do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or hope for. Maybe you just haven't asked for enough long enough and pressed into that long enough to see what he has for you. So even in a moment that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we don't know the plans or the purpose. I know that my God is a miracle working God. I know that he's a God that shows up in my situations. And my situations are no determination of who he is or how good he is. I know that as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will move forward in what he's asked me to do with my life. Because I can tell you this. There was a time in my life where I made a decision that being close to people hurt too much. Like a day like today. Or, or maybe a day where somebody stabbed you in the back you were close to or loved or betrayed you. That there are moments in my life where it seemed easier to withdraw and isolate myself from people. Because, shoot, man, if you're just a, you're living up in the mountains, right? You're just hobbing it out, got a little hobbit hole all dug out, right? I'm small enough, I can fit in the hobbit hole. So, uh, it's true. So, and you isolate yourself, nobody can hurt you. Nothing can wound you. You're not close to anybody. Nothing hurts you. Nobody's going to betray you. No one's going to leave you. No one's going to check out on you. There's, there's no wounds there. And what you find in those moments when I've done that in my life is I found that while that was true, the hole that filled into my heart was bigger than anything a wound from another person could inflict. And I think a lot of us have walked through that in our life where we had a moment where like, that's it. I just... I don't trust people anymore. You make a decision to judge the next person based on the sins of the last person. You hold a wrong against somebody who has done nothing because somebody else did something against you. And so you walk into that new relationship, in the new friendship, the new marriage, the new boyfriend, the new girlfriend, the new boss, the new coworker already at odds with them because in your heart you say mm -mm, i've been down this road i know what this looks like and i don't trust you and because of it you are self-fulfilling prophecy you stand 
at odds. You stand from a distance and you begin to poison that relationship until you can say, "Uh uh-huh, see, I knew it. And you can't see that the fact that you had never had compassion on that person, you had never walked in love that could have won that person over. I might be, I mean, you guys, somebody in this room might be the exception to the rule, but I might be one of the few exceptions to the rule that have ever won somebody to Jesus on social media through a political argument. (laughs) Who does that, right? There's all the cliches about no one ever, right? No one ever, because that's what happened. You typed to me and I went, oh, I guess I was wrong all these years. That never happens, but yet, I've seen it happen in my life. Why? Because in the moments of trying to create an argument, the Lord would speak to me and say, love that person, they're hurting. And I would begin to pour out my heart, ready for the attack. I remember one such girl. She she ended up being a childhood friend of a friend of mine, and that's how we connected on Facebook. And my friend had posted on Facebook, he's in California, Uh, very liberal Democrat. I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you a story. Um, And he had posted to, you know, know, there, conservatives and Republicans are like, if you find one, you want to put them in a museum, right? Because it's like, whoa, an artifact, right? And they're there, but they hide in attics and don't talk, okay? Like, you don't let anybody know, all right? So whatever your political leanings are, that's just the truth. Kind of like here, you would say the same thing. If you're, if you're a Democrat, you've probably never voiced it in this room, right? Because you know it's Oklahoma, like, you know, right? You, you want to be loved at church. You don't want them to beat you with a stick and kick you out, right? That better never happen, but, okay? So that's why I'm never political, right? So I grew up in California, I moved here, so I've seen both spectrums of that, and I try not to get political. But this, this one, in there, they think that they, they just cannot comprehend why you would be a conservative. And so he asked a question. He said, look, I just want, for my conservative friends, I just want to understand. Uh, no argument, I promise. No fight. I just want to really hear your heart why you are. Not these Washington guys. You, the, a regular person. Like, what your heart is for that. And I thought that was genuine enough, and we've been friends since... Uh, a school, so I messaged him like what the heart of a conservative is, right? I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying what side I'm on. I'm just saying I know my people. I know my, my environment. And I've grown up in both, so I understand both sides. And so I messaged him th- this heartfelt response. This is how, you know, this state sees things. And this is the heart. And, and he shared his perspective. This is how we see things. And he, and he replied, thank you for your comment. I appreciate that so much. I felt your heart in that, and I can see why you would think that. Like, we didn't come to an agreement that, oh, I've changed your mind, but we appreciated that each other had a heart for why we believe things, okay? Um, And so, of course, what happened? Hate started to happen. His friends started to comment. They called me all kinds of names. Like, I don't know how, but I just got, I got called every name in the world. Like, we were just talking about normal social issues, like no, nothing controversial. And it just, I just got bashed and people got on my feed and they're like, oh, this guy's a pastor. This guy's a pastor and he has no compassion for anyone. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about the, the key issues that upset people. We just talked about normal things like small government versus big government, like normal things. And 
They just started ripping me, and he came on and tried to defend me. Hey, guys, I told you that this was a safe place, right? So, you know, they, they gave me a safe space. It's California, so it makes sense. And they gave me a safe space. This is a safe place, and, and you can vent your opinion here. And, and I told him he wouldn't get attacked, and you guys are attacking him. And this one girl, Debbie, man, she came after me. I mean, she just spit in vinegar, just came after me. And, and I replied once, and she just came down and ripped me hard. I'm like, my little heart, right? Typing has broken my heart. Um, and and she, she writes this, and the Lord speaks to me and says, tell her about my love for her and just witness to her about the Lord. And they've already been bashing me. Like there's at least like 10 now. He's a pastor, right? And I'm like, what? what does that have to do with small government, big? I don't get you people. Okay, so like I I'm God's kingdom first. Let me make that clear, okay? I am a citizen of heaven first. Before any other allegiances, God gets my allegiance. No nation, no political leanings, no social clubs, no city, no state. Nothing gets my allegiance above God's. I'm a patriot of heaven first. I love my country, but I'm in love with my God. So the Lord says, just minister to her. And I'm like, God, we on Facebook. Maybe you didn't realize the platform. <laughs> like they were already bashing me because I'm a minister. And now I'm going to be like, and they're just going to tear. I mean, this is going to get crazy. And I was like, I can deal with it, but can you? I mean, they're coming after you now. You sure? And uh, he's like, respond with love and, and witness to her. So I wrote her like three paragraphs and, and I explained to her, you know, that I come, I'm a Jew by race, that I come from Jewish bloodline and, 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 and I started talking to her about, uh, uh, I don't remember the whole conversation, what it was about, but I, I came at it from a perspective of my bloodline and why it mattered to me so much um, that, that people's rights were protected and, you know, and what happened to our families and that God was the center of my universe. And, and, I, and I told her my heart and my testimony uh, that, uh, about Jesus in my life and, and I was ready for it. And, I'm like, and I swapped. <sighs> here comes the hate. Because there's already 10 people hating on me, so I'm like, here it comes. Her response to me was, I'm reading your message in tears. Thank you for your heart. Now that I know your heart, I realize the things I said were wrong. That we just have a different opinion, but that you have a good heart and I'm crying right now. So she begins to message me more. I'm a Jew too. And I've just moved to Arizona from California and there are no synagogues where I live and I have nowhere to go. And my faith, I, I don't, I'm not able to do my faith. What, what do I do? And she begins to witness to me. Uh, share with me. And I begin to witness to her. And I tell her this. I say, you should find a messianic church there. And she says, what's that? I said, it's one that is rooted in Judaism, that accepts Jesus as their Messiah. But it's, it's all of your, your synagogue. It's all of the Jewish holidays, feasts, festivals, everything that you would experience at synagogue, you will experience there. 
with them believing that Messiah. And she said this to me because I said, you know, we're, we're not so different, you and I. And she said this, yes, we are. She goes, we have two completely different religions. And I said, honey, what are you talking about? We have the same religion. And she says, what? no, you're Jewish and I'm Christian. That's two different religions. And I said, no, it's not. I said, you are living under the promise of a Messiah. I believe Messiah came. You believe he's still coming. We just have a timeline difference. We are on the same religion. What I serve is fulfillment of Messiah. What we do in church is fulfillment of Messiah. It is all of the prophecies about Messiah saying it happened. And you're still saying I'm waiting. There's no difference other than that. And she went, oh my gosh, I never realized that. And I said, yeah, when Messiah, you think he's supposed to come. When he shows up, you'll do the same things we're doing. And she goes, oh my gosh. So I told her, go, go, go to this messianic, find a messianic church because I found some around there, because I was being Jehovah sneaky, okay? I know what I was doing. And I said, go find this church. I just tell them, am I free to practice Judaism here? I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, but am I safe to come here and worship with you guys, even if I don't believe Jesus is Messiah? Am I? And I said, they will gladly accept you, and they will understand. You, you have, that's not your, your belief. You think he's coming. We think he came. We think his name is Jesus. You think he's someone else. Like, that's okay. We're good with that. And I said, I promise, and you'll get to experience everything you've experienced. And, you will, and she goes, that's a wonderful idea. I'm going to do that now. And she let me know she had found some in the area and was going to try them. About six months later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she went through a battle. She overcame the breast cancer. She beat the breast cancer. And she moved to Kansas. And I was so excited. And I messaged her and said, Oh, you're only a few hours from me. We'll finally get to meet. I'll get to see you. And we've, I've, you know, she would message me. I became her pastor. She would message me for spiritual counseling without Jesus. Right? But I would counsel her. And she's up in Kansas, and I see a post from her that says, wasn't feeling very good today, went back to the doctor, the cancer is back and more aggressive than ever. I was away at Global. I was away with Randy Clark for three weeks at Global, and I made a post, and maybe some of you remember it, and I just said this, Jesus wrecked me today. And she responded on that post, and she goes, Jesus wrecked me this week too. And that's how I found out she'd accepted Jesus into her heart. Three weeks later, she went to meet him. And I'll see her in heaven. But she'll be in heaven. Because I chose to love someone in a political argument that was hating on me. Because I realized that you, you think getting someone out of a wheelchair is hard. Try winning a political argument. That's a miracle. Okay? Let's get some perspective, folks. But that day I chose to reach in love and put myself on the line. Even though I knew that I might be hurt. Even though that I knew that the words I would hear back would hurt my heart, would attack me, would chastise me, would go against my identity, would challenge me as a son of God, would challenge my belief system, 
and call me cruel and mean and misguided. I knew somebody on there was going to call me an idiot for believing in the fairy god in the sky. Okay, I knew that was going to happen, and I chose instead to not care to love myself, to protect myself. See, that's the problem. All of us have some love, but a lot of times it's we love ourselves. Okay, and that's the difference between the world. I've had lots of atheists tell me, I love, you don't have to have God to have compassion. You don't have to have God to love. You don't have to have God to be moral. But I would say this to you. The only way you can do it out of selflessness is when you believe in God. Because let me tell you this, the reason why somebody who does not believe in God would do selfless acts, would be kind, compassionate, loving, caring, is because it makes them feel good to do it. Is because when they have done something kind to someone else, they feel good about themselves. It is a selfish act in its nature. You find me one person that does not believe in a creator that will do something when it costs them everything because it's right and because someone else is loved. You will find very few men, very few women in this world that will do something that will cost them everything out of love when there is nothing to receive from it, when there is no good feeling. You can tell those very quickly. They're the ones on Facebook that say this, that's the last time I do something nice for somebody. They did something nice and they fill in the blank, right? They didn't do it out of selflessness. Otherwise, there would not be a post. Jesus gave his life willingly and the thief hung on the cross next to him and, he, and the thief said, just remember me in paradise. He said, this day we'll be in paradise together. Jesus held no records of wrong and he needed nothing back in return to love someone. He needed nothing. Remember, Jesus was the pastor of Judas and he loved him even to the end. As he betrayed him, he loved him. Love never stopped. True love is selfless even when it hurts us. And when you live in that, when you activate love and compassion, when it has, it doesn't have to be returned to you in any measure. And when it's not returned to you and it's squandered, it's stepped on, it's stabbed in the back, when love is not treated equally in return, will you continue to love? That will show you if you are walking in your love or godly love. That will show you if you are walking in the power of love or just your perception of love. When, when you do things out of love so that you feel good about it, that is not love, that is lust. That's lust. There is a worldly return, a fleshly return for it. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel good when you do loving things. Don't, don't mishear me. You can feel good. You can be excited. You can be proud of yourself. You'll be like, yay, go me. But the test is, right? You can cheerlead yourself. Go. You, the test, that's funny. You can laugh a little. You're like, you're a weirdo. I know. The test is this. When it doesn't get returned to you, do you then reverse your love into anger, into hurt, into pain? And do you allow that to root into your life instead? Do you accept that compassion, love in action, is its own reward? Do you accept that when you come to Jesus, you've already forfeit your life? 
And you said, it's not I that lives, but you that lives in me, God. And so I will do these things because I love you. And I love you because you first love me with no conditions. Because here's the truth that all of us need to recognize. If God played by our rules of love, we would have none. There's not a single one of us that have lived a life worthy of love. We have lived an adulterous life to God. Let me explain that. If one of you guys were in here, and as you, if you're married to somebody, and I'm closing with this, if you're married to somebody, and you would say this. Let, let me read this real quick, and I'm going to close with this. Romans 13.8 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So let me read that one more time. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. See, there is nothing in this world we owe anybody except to love them. That's what God said. Get rid of all your debts. Have nothing, no debt, nothing you owe anyone except never let the debt of love be paid off. You owe everyone love. You cannot pay that debt off. And when you say, I've loved enough, I don't have to, I put myself on the line enough, I'm not telling you just to walk into relationships where you're wounded. What I'm saying is you can't, you can't leave a, a wounded relationship and then just refuse to love others. You don't have to be in abuse, but you can't move on and just take love away from everyone. You owe a debt of love. That's who we are. We owe a debt. And we're going to understand love through this series. We're going to understand love. Amen? We're going to press into that. We're going to press into that. I hope that I've stirred your heart. I owe a debt of love every day. And it's the only debt I can't pay. And it's really the only debt I'm required to keep paying on. There is no bankruptcy I can file on that debt. There is nothing I can do to abstain from it. So I just choose to love you. And I choose that each moment of your life that I should value that moment that I should have no regrets and walk through life going, I did everything I was called to do, whether it costs me everything or not. That's a life that I can have joy in, that I can have peace in, that I can have fulfillment. But what I refuse to do is live life on my own terms and then somehow blame him for the outcome. I refuse to do it my way and to be mad at him he didn't love me enough to save me from myself every time I blew it. Look at what's happening to me, God. And God's going, that wasn't my plan. Why'd you do it your way? You know why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because a rich man just wants to thank God for his own plans working out. Whereas those that have the least are content with just having him. And I don't want to be that. With plenty, with, with outpouring. I'm not saying we all have to live poor. I'm saying if we can start with that mentality, then... We'll never lose it when he blesses us. Amen.